Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Midtown Atlanta, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Now here's your host, C.W. Hall. Good morning, everyone. It is CW, your host here on the Health Connect South Radio Show, our 73rd episode today. And we are just days away now from the upcoming 2016 Health Connect South event held September 21st at the Georgia Aquarium. And we need you to get over to healthconnectsouth.com. There's a registration uh, link there, and you can use a promo code RADIOX there to get a discount on your registration. Make sure that you're social media network also knows about the event as well as the promo so that they can take advantage of the discount and join us there at the Health Connect South event where we will be having experts talking about how they are taking on a number of the top disease states affecting the community around the globe and trying to come up with some innovative approaches as well as partnerships and collaborations that will help reduce the rate at which these uh, diseases are affecting our neighbors. With me today on the show, calling from Israel, I have Lori Chimura from Dune Medical Devices. We're going to be talking about a very cool device that they have developed and have out there in the community now helping patients uh, dealing with cancer. Thanks for taking some time, Lori, uh, across the pond. Yes, thank you very much. <laughs> and real quickly, I'll just introduce my next guest here with me in the studio, Mark O'Connor of Courant Health. They help uh, physicians and patients manage chronic disease with innovative technology. So thanks for taking some time to join us here in the studio. And thanks again for the invitation. <laughs> That's right. Well, Lori, introduce folks to, to your background. We were just talking a little bit before we went on the air. You come from a medical background, linked up with a company here recently. Just give a short you know, rundown of, of your background and how you got to be here uh, with the organization at Dune. Sure. Thank you so much. So I started out my career uh, many, many years ago as a cardiothoracic ICU nurse uh, at Yale New Haven Hospital in Connecticut and moved to Atlanta and worked uh, in the Atlanta market at both St. Joseph's and Emory um, in critical care as well as ER. And in 1998, I uh, decided that I wanted to do something a little bit different. And so I went into the industry aspect of it as a clinical specialist uh, with a company, a small company called Datascope at the time, yeah. um, and worked my up, way up from clinical specialist to, um, I was vice president of North America. And I spent some time at Covian in the um, minimally invasive uh, endomechanical market and then moved over to Johnson & Johnson at Cordis, spent a short period of time at Medtronic as well with the pacers and devices. And so back in January, uh, this opportunity was brought to me um, to join a company that was on the forefront of developing a solution for patients with breast cancer, and it really resonated with me. So I joined back in January, and uh, it's been a wonderful 10 months. We'll talk a little bit about Dune Medical Devices and what the company does, and then we'll get into this more specific device that we were talking about here today. Sure. So Dune Medical Devices uh, was founded in 2002 um, in Israel. We now do have offices in the U.S. I just happen to be visiting in Israel right now um, by our founder, Dan Hashimshoni, who uh, was solving what, what you would call an unmet need uh, in terms of detecting cancer at the margin during surgery 
specifically today for breast cancer surgery, although as we'll talk about a little bit, I think later on, we also uh, have the ability and the technology to detect other cancers at the margin. Um, but since 2002, we went through the rigorous PMA process. Um, we got CE mark in 2006, and then we got uh, FDA approval through the PMA in 2012, and we launched in the U.S. in the middle of 2013. Uh, since then, we've done 9,600 patients in the U.S. and Israel, uh, a little bit outside the U.S. and Europe, Germany specifically, and we've studied uh, well over 2,400 patients, and we've been able to show a uh, 50 to 80 percent reduction in re-excisions because of the use of the technology. And what you were saying before we jumped on today was that as many as 25 percent of the women that are undergoing tissue-sparing lumpectomies end up going back because cells are found in the margin? Yes, absolutely. So um, right now we, we see anywhere from, you know, approximately one in four women after having breast cancer surgery, they have not removed all the cancer at the margin. And so um, they are ha having to go back to have a re-excision to remove that, that tissue. Uh, and that really is related to the fact that, you know, not that the doctor made a mistake or anything like that, but in fact that the standard of care for measuring and determining today, other than margin probe, whether or not there's still cancer at the margin is uh, final pathology. And that generally takes four days or so uh, for the pathologist to look at the specimen for those results to come back. So what you're saying is that when I'm taking that lump out of the breast tissue, then they're going to try to take a couple of millimeters beyond where they know the border of that tumor is to try to ensure that they've gotten all the cells from the tumor, correct? Right. Exactly. So if you think about a lumpectomy procedure today, um, in two stages, really. So the first thing that happens is a woman has a, you know, a mammogram, and that mammogram shows that there's cancer. So they'll do several other tests ultrasound, potentially biopsy, and they'll locate the cancer. Um, then what they do is when they come into surgery, they remove that tumor based on all the information they had preoperatively. And so, you know, the physician will look at it, will feel it. Um, some cancers are easy to see and, and easy to feel, and other cancers such as uh, DCIS is very difficult to detect because you can't see it on any kind of radiography and you can't feel it. So then after they examine it, they look at the specimen, they might have a pathologist in there looking at it, then they make a determination um, whether or not they need to take some more tissue at that point to get all the cancer out. And then at that point, you know, they, they kind of move them on. Even with all of that, they're still only, you know, about 75% getting all the, all the cancer out. So Three to four days later, the pathologist will look at the specimen and say, you haven't gotten all the cancer, you need to go back there and remove it. And the reason that that's important, other than the fact that you know nobody wants any kind of cancer in them, is that even if there are microscopic residual cells, there is a potential that there could be some recurrences. Um, although we have not studied that specifically with our device, we do know that in the general population that to be true. President of Dune Medical Devices and developer of Margin Probe, Lori Chimura, with us here uh, on Health Connect South Radio today. And we're talking about uh, this innovative probe that they have de designed. And as we were talking, Lori, you were saying that the way it's used, the physician actually, while the, while the wound site is open, after they've excised the tumor, then they're going to use that device to actually touch the tissue of the breast around where they have made that incision and excision and be able to actually use radio frequency 
technology to actually illuminate, if you will, cells in that space and with great accuracy down to pretty, pretty small structures, you're able to actually illuminate and see or not see the existence of cancer cells in that space. Yes. And it just mild correction. It's the actual excised tumor. So oh, okay. once the tumor is out, um, yep, it's once the tumor is out, we essentially interrogate the entire tumor um, with our probe and device. And we, we look for that microscopical, microscopic residual cancer at the surface. So hopefully if I've taken a wide enough border, then the tissue that's still adhering to the tumor is what I'm looking at. And that is what we want to see the outside of that being clear. Exactly. Which is what the standard of care is today with with pathology. That's how they determine whether or not all cancer has been removed by looking at the excised specimen. With the relatively recent experience of Angelina Jolie going through breast cancer. I know hers was one of those that has a genetic story to it. And I believe that may be why she ultimately decided to go the route she did with mastectomy, uh, getting even, uh, I guess, a, a preventive mastectomy on the, on the contralateral side. I don't think she had tumors known where she had her surgeries yeah. done. But what, what is that like today with regards to discovering a tumor and determining whether or not it's going to be a lumpectomy or a mastectomy? Yes, so that's a great question. So that is, you know, generally driven uh, by the physician and the patient together. Um, And in Angelina Jolie's case, as I recall that, and I I won't have that exactly, I don't know that she actually had breast cancer in as much as she had the BRCA gene, Ah, which is the gene that they have determined that, you know, it leads to breast cancer. So she made a decision to prophylactically um, remove both of her breasts. Ah. And, you know, uh, it's, it's certainly well discussed. Um, out there that, you know, there was an impact in the marketplace on people choosing, you know, bilateral mastectomies because of what Angelina Jolie did. But right now, 60 to 70 percent of patients are offered, uh, you know, breast conserving surgery. And the, you know, the recurrence rate is not different, you know, provided again that you look at your genetic makeup of the uh, of the cell, as well as all of the other factors, and you're able to remove the cancer. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to mention Angelina's story. I know that once that got out into the community, I mean, it made a lot of people, I think, consider just going the route that she did. And I, I wasn't obviously familiar enough to know that she didn't actually have a, at least a lump. I thought she had. But the reason why I wanted to mention that is technology such as yours and the ability to effectively remove that lump and get clean margins should help some of those women safely avoid a mastectomy. Absolutely. And I think the other big piece of it is I uh, I actually had a, a my best friend uh, recently, believe it or not, after being with the company since January, um, was recently diagnosed with breast cancer and uh, young, 49 years old. And I'll tell you, I got to really experience it firsthand, the waiting and wondering about whether or not she had to go back for another surgery. And you know, I, I really underestimated and downplayed kind of that impact prior to that. But um you know, volunteering to go with her to the surgery with she and her husband and, you know, participate in it. And then realizing, you know, she's a busy executive. She's got two grown children. Uh, you know, she's she's got all kinds of things on her plate. And you know, she cleared the day to do the surgery. And, and uh, you know, I took off. Her husband took off. Everybody was kind of waiting. And then all of a sudden I started realizing, wow, think about this. One in four women, this isn't it. They have to actually come back 
uh, you know, and have another surgery after they've rearranged their entire lives, you know, to go and have that procedure. And it's mentally and physically obviously taxing. Um, but then to, you know, wait three to four days and wonder if you're going to have to do it again, which then, of course, postpones your radiology, um, your radiation treatments, excuse me, and other things. So that really resonated with me. Like the fact that we're able to save people some of that anguish, I was like, gosh, you know, I, I really truly underestimated that. It would seem, Lori, that the surgeons and physicians that are presented with this technology and get to use it to the benefit of their patients would be favorable. How are they receiving it? We have uh, patients, so we're in about 29 states right now. So we're not, you know, we don't have a broad adoption yet. We're still relatively new in the marketplace. Um, But the physicians that are using it are incredibly happy. I think they feel really good about um, telling their patients, you know, that they have this device for them and this technology. Uh, I will say that, you know, to quote some of our happiest surgeons, they say, you know, I sleep better at night knowing that I did everything I can for my patient Um, and, you know, all the way to the worst phone call that they have to make is the one that has to tell their patient that they have to come back. So, you know, knowing that they have margin probe and they know that they gave that patient the best chance of avoiding a re-excision, I think is is absolutely um, something that they're very, very excited about. Have you found from patients that having had the device used in their lumpectomy procedure that the wait for the final pathology word to come back is a little bit easier from the patient's perspective? Yeah, we actually had, um, yeah, we, um, we actually did some, some uh, video work with some patients, I want to say last year. And one of the quotes uh, that one of the women said was, you know, cancer was just supposed to be, uh, you know, kind of a bump in the road and, and knowing that, uh, knowing that she had the margin probe and didn't need a, a re-excision really helped kind of, you know, navigate her through that bump so that it didn't become her roadblock. And you know, I probably didn't say it as eloquently as she did, but, uh, you know, I think she was very appreciative of the fact that she knew that she had a, a much better chance of kind of getting on with her life and, and really not having to, you know, dwell on the fact that she was ill. What about other things on the horizon for Dune, are, are you focused real heavily in cancer or are there other things coming out that the company is working on that be worth talking about? Yep. So we are a surgical oncology company and our you know most imminent device is still in the breast space. Um, we have just received a grant from the EU to develop our smart biopsy device, which will uh, afford the, uh, the physicians the opportunity to really, you know, kind of detect the... Um, the cancer during the biopsy to make sure that they go to the right place. So that's in its infancy, but we're really excited about that. Um, and, you know, that could potentially enable more minimally invasive surgeries and, and other things like that with that technology. Um, and then we also, uh, you know, are in the process of um, developing the technology, uh, radiofrequency spectroscopy, you know, as a platform for other cancers such as prostate, lung, and colon, which are probably the three next ones that we'll be looking at. When it comes to looking at what Health Connect South is all about, one of the things that we try to do is, one, clearly talk about what it is that you're doing, which uh, you've got some innovative technology coming out. But when it comes to accelerating the pace and breadth and depth of what you're able to accomplish, 
uh, one of the things we like to find out is what do you need? Are are there resources? Clearly, awareness. You're 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 saying that you're fairly early in the marketplace, so there's a lot of folks out there that don't yet know about you. So being here and having the opportunity to talk about it is certainly good. Um, are there partnerships, collaborations like that that you might be looking for when you show up at the upcoming Health Connect South event? Yes. I mean, I'd love to talk to different companies or different folks that are looking for collaborations and partnerships. Um, you know, we're, we're obviously an, an, you know, an early stage commercial company, um, you know, and, and talking to folks about partnerships and enabling technology or anything, you know, we're completely open to talking about all of that, as well as, you know, expanding adoption by ensuring that our physician base and our, our uh, patient base understands our technology and is, you know, helps us to kind of, you know, drive demand. I know I've caught, caught you in the middle of your day in travel abroad. Do you have some final thoughts before I let you get back to your afternoon? No, I just, I really appreciate the time to talk about Margin Hope. It's really very exciting technology. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be more excited to be part of this organization and to be part of a journey, uh, you know, that affords uh, breast cancer patients to kind of get on, get on with their lives and not have cancer be what stops them. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and, uh, I look forward to next week for the conference. Talk about where folks can go to get more information about uh, Dune and uh, Margin Probe. Yep, marginprobe.com. And also we are on LinkedIn under Margin Probe, and we have a Facebook page, which is called Margin Probe. And then we have a Margin Probe Israel Facebook page as well. So lots of information out there. Also, uh, breastcanceranswers.org has some information about Margin Probe as well as some physician videos on it for folks that are on that site. Well, I'm pleased to get a chance to meet you remotely, and I look forward to connecting with you face-to-face in a few days at the upcoming event. Thank you so much. I look forward to it. Thanks for jumping on with us. We'll talk to you soon. All righty. All right. Bye-bye. All righty. Bye-bye now. Now, Mark, you've been with us here in the studio in the past, and for the folks who missed that show, hadn't had a chance to learn about you and, and Courant, introduce folks to you a little bit, and then we'll get into what Courant's all about. Sure. Uh, I appreciate the invitation, um, uh, again, to come here and, and uh, share my thoughts on healthcare and what Curant Health is doing, and look forward to the conference as well. Uh, Curant Health, we, we are a, a new class of business really focused on chronic condition patients specifically improving their outcomes um, via a platform of care management and medication management to really make sure those, those chronic patients that are on very complicated uh, therapies um, stick to them. And we, we really are, a, we, we kind of joke now, we're a barrier removal company. We're removing all the barriers that contribute to this non, non-adherence and really try to make it dumb simple for these folks, again, on very complex therapies to stay adherent and and dramatically improve their their outcomes as our healthcare technologies and the way we deliver care and just get better as we gain more knowledge along the way obviously patients are living longer after being diagnosed with diseases like cancer like diabetes like heart disease um, hypertension and others and and go from relatively short lives that you know end abruptly to now being folks who have a disease that's active disease that maybe it's being contained through medications or other treatments. And so your, your patient base is expanding, it seems like, rather than contracting, for sure. All right, at a, at a very fast uh, <laughs> clip, actually. You know, it, ha- having a chronic condition is, is, 
is certainly not a stigma. You know, there, there are um, just about every chronic condition that you can think of has a medication therapy of some type that um, in many times allows you to live an absolutely normal life where no one would ever know that you have, you know, X or Y condition. Um, you know, the pharma manufacturers uh, take, a, take a bad rap sometimes, but they are producing some remarkable therapies that uh, are keeping us alive longer, that let us spend more time with our loved ones, that let uh, grandparents that wouldn't be here, you know, get to hang out with their, <laughs> their grandkids. And uh, the, the real challenge is um, Americans in general are horrible healthcare consumers, absolutely terrible. And these therapies get very complicated very quickly. But if you stay on them, you'll appreciate those, those outcomes. So what we do is, is really are that patient advocate in the middle that um, after you spend your 60 seconds with the doctor, <laughs> which is the average time a physician spends on doing medication therapy management with the patient, really explaining wow. it just because of bandwidth, and you're then sent out into the world to fend for yourself, you know, there, there, are, there are companies in this burgeoning space of medication management that are there to help these chronic condition patients because it's a massive problem. Um, there's over, uh, I think the latest CDC study had nearly $300 billion in wasted medical spend on patients who don't stay adherent um, to their chronic condition therapies because um, it's tough. It is tough to do. It is a very complicated thing when you're on not one or two meds, but when you're on 15, 18 medications, it's tough. It's, it's hard for me in good shape to remember taking my multivitamin every, yeah. every morning. So it really gets exponentially worse. And um, this, this class of trade in the space that we're in is, is really solving for that problem specifically. Well, you talked, Mark, about the fact that, that it is a platform. Describe what we're talking about. Is it an application, an EMR, or a device, or all of the above? It, it's, it, it's a lot of different touch points and, and things. We really, um, we don't treat disease states at Curant Health. We treat the whole patient. And that involves um, very heavy outreach and touch and support and advocacy to the patients. It also involves a, a great deal of data and information and time spent with the clinicians and with the patient support teams. Um, it, people like talk about, um, y- y- you know, um, large scale, uh, you know, d- disease platform care and such. But, you know, e- every patient is, is different. Every patient is a human being. So you really, to solve these problems that prop and crop up that impinge the, the patient's understanding of their regimen, their ability um, to, to take their medications correctly and even get them fulfilled. And they, they, they just need some, some help. So um, it's sort of an example is, uh, you know, here's what happens in a normal patient's life. And there's lots of barriers to adherence. But a normal patient, they, they're on a, a complex regimen and they, they open up their medicine cabinet in the evening and there's nine or 10 brown bottles staring at them that give them no feedback whatsoever. And they pop one of the bottles and they look in, oh darn, it's empty. So uh, they roll their eyes. Now I got to get in the car and drive to a pharmacy. Now they drive to their pharmacy and they wait get there. Wait an hour. Wait, wait, in, <laughs> you know, they wait, wait an hour, shop for you know, their school supplies and, and milk and cosmetics. And the first thing the pharmacy text says there is, well, you're out of refills. You have to go back to the doctor. Oh, great. Now I'm walking out of there. I don't have my meds. Got to get an appointment, go see my doctor, drive to the, the doctor's office. The doctor says, all right, I'll refill these. Now you take that script and go back, drop it off, wait your 15 minutes and go again shopping and uh, get that med finally that you need. And it's probably three or four days now that you've been non-adherent to this medication. You get home and three days later, you start the exact same process again on another medication that's in your, your drawer. Um, the challenging thing about chronic condition patients is it's human beings that suffer from them. And human beings are uh, an amazing 
um, you know, conundrum when it comes, you know, to, to sticking to any regimens. We, we, we make good decisions, we make bad decisions. And what we do is we help our patients focus, um, you know, because, because we don't like to f- focus on our health. That's not what humans do. We like to focus on our life. So what we try to do is to all of our patients, get them focused on their health just a little bit and we remove those barriers. So our solutions are, hey, look, there's no more runs, you know, in the middle of the night to the, the pharmacy. There's no more not knowing if you have refills left. There's no more not, not having that information in your clinician's hands on, on how you're living your life and what those barriers are. There's no more fighting with your insurance company over um, a prior authorization of whether or not you can even get a medication. There's no more uh, fighting, wow, I, I just simply cannot afford my copay. These are the, the types of problems that Curant Health solves for by um, having dedicated resources and, and pharmacy techs and nurses dedicated to each individual patient, to having um, you know, home delivery of medications in, in really high technology, um, customized packaging. So there's no more brown bottles. It, we make it you know, as dumb, simple as possible. Just pop out the bubble that has those six meds in in the morning, take them, go about your day, and then pop out the next bubble in the evening. It has four meds and go about your your evening. And uh, what we found is it's a remarkable, remarkable success. Um, here here are, are the simple numbers on what we live every day. Of the 100% of scripts that get written by the doctors, only 75%, 75% get taken to the pharmacy. And of that 75%, roughly 50% ever get picked up, actually fulfilled. And um, of that, the, the long-term adherence to these chronic conditions and that retail setting, uh, depending on disease stays between 25 and 40%, depending on disease state. It's, it's absolutely remarkable because life gets in the way. It's, it's tough. Um, our patients, we use vernacular medication possession ratio. That means, you know, <laughs> do you have the meds in your hand? Are you taking them? We're at 98%. Wow. So it's a radically different adherence rate, what we do. Because, um, Kayla, we just care. This isn't necessarily rocket science. Um, curant means care in Latin. We care enough to make sure the patient understands what they're doing. We're always that lifeline. You can call us 24 hours a day. Hey, do I take the red pill first or the blue pill? And, um, and provide that support. And um, what we've really um, done um, in the last year is really start to provide some serious empirical um, trial-based evidence around this. To us, it makes all the sense in the world, but now we have the Johns Hopkins and the Mayos and the Northwesterns and Chicago's um, doing IRB studies on our protocols tied in with their, their standard of care to see if there's an, an improvement. And this, these studies are on their nickel, which is, is great. These aren't paid for studies. Um, they're trying to figure out why is it you guys are getting the outcomes that you, you are. And um, we'll be in October, the first um, white paper and results from the Johns Hopkins study will be presented at a, a large IBD conference. And um, not, not to give away the surprise, but there, there is an improvement over Johns Hopkins' own standard of care. So, um, you know, what, what we're doing is meaningful and what we're doing is work. And, and those that come behind us, you know, replicate our, our model and care platform um, are really going to redefine medicine and, and how we, um, as, a, as a culture, manage these these medications, these chronic conditions. How is the provider, whether it's nurse practitioner, PA, physician, are they updated in some form or fashion around the patient's performance, how they're doing? Does their information flow to them along the way in between visits in any form or fashion? It, it does to a, to a very meaningful way. Um, in, in the past, doctors had literally no clear line of sight into the patient's home. Um, you know, the doctor would uh, diagnose a patient, say you've got X condition and Y condition. Here's nine sheets of paper. 
um, go get these filled and exercise and eat right, and I'll see you in three to six months. And, right. and, and they had no line of sight of what was going on out in the home. Um, now we can bring that data back to them. Is the patient staying adherent? What, what problems, what barriers are they? Where we can go back to the doctor and say, look, doctor, you pre- prescribed X medication. Um, it caused a rash in the patient. She was embarrassed to say, or they gained 30 pounds and he was embarrassed to say. Or they have two other specialists that are also prescribing different kind of medications, and that cocktail is not working very well. All this data now can go back to these doctors so they can make better, more informed decisions on the patient and and change these regimens such that the side effects and the negatives are greatly reduced. Um, we, we joke sometimes internally that that although we're a, we're a care organization, a very mission-driven care organization, that ultimately we're going to become a data company because we now actually have the meaningful data on how patients are managing their lives, what the real true outcomes of these therapies are, and delivering that data back to the payers, to the manufacturers, and uh, to the clinicians themselves. How, how does the data go back? Is it something that goes into their electronic medical record somehow or some sort of portal? How does it how do they get the information? Um, it, it is as we're becoming more and more connected. It, it's almost um, you know non-negotiable now when when a, a large provider or even a manufacturer, um, but certainly those providers um, you know have that relationship with Curon Health with are directing patients. We we have to be tied into their EMR. That's that's the data we we need. We need to see those outcomes um, on the medical side. We need to see um, what medications that uh, at least that one doctor has prescribed, and then we need to push back to them. All right, what's important to you? What We have a platform called MedPlan, which is our own EMR, where we really track the real nuances of patient behavior and adherence. And we thought we had this great idea. Okay, we'll let all the doctors, give them all a password and let them you know, dial up their patients and take a look and see what they're doing. And we realized that was a, an immediate failure because no one has the bandwidth to do that. Yeah, so, workflow. So yeah. Exactly. So every relationship we have with um, individual cl- clinicians, even within you know, Johns Hopkins, for instance, um, we, we start with a clinical goal. You, Mr. Doctor, what is your clinical goal? You're diabetic, um, you know, um, doctor, a heart failure specialist. You know, you've got different, you know, clinical goals you want. Well, we start with those. All right, you want all your patients with an A1C below seven. Got it. So that's the data we push back to them. All right, Miss Smith is at seven now, but she started at 11 and she's, you know, progressed the right direction. Um, Mr. Smith is going the wrong way. He's now at nine. We're, we're desperately trying to keep him adherent, but he's got some some issues. So real specific data. Um, I actually gave a um, discussion um, at a healthcare information technology conference last year. And I was, I got the lucky spot, the 8 a.m. on Monday morning. <laughs> and I'm, I'm in a room with a, a lot of engineers and data folks and analytic folks. And I, I stand up there. And the first thing I, I tell everyone is, hey, look, all of you guys, you're talking this big data and big healthcare data. You all just stop what you're doing. Okay. Pack up your, your, your stuff, you know, go home, close down your companies. Everything you're doing is in complete and utter waste of time. And um, as you can just see, all of a sudden, everyone woke up quickly and looked at me. <laughs> we're, we're looking for which sharp object to throw at me. I said, unless you actually use that data in a very tactical manner to improve the outcome of a patient. Right? Dumping loads of data is, is meaningless. It's this real tactical problem-solving data um, delivered to that clinician, that is what is going to improve outcomes in health, not just big data. And this is, um, you know, Curant Health, we're, we're a company where um, two of our four principles are engineers. So we're a very process-driven, very meticulous, very empirical company. Um, many times, as odd as it sounds, that's kind of a different methodology in the provision of healthcare. With regards to getting someone, uh, getting your technology and your, your platform into the hands of providers, how does that flow? I mean, what's, what's, what's involved with 
getting my patients, if I'm one of those doctors that's in North Space where I have many chronic, chronically ill patients, I've got to manage out of that patient population. How do they get involved with the, with the platform and start using it? Sure. The, the upside is it's incredibly easy. We're, we're simply uh, changing the status quo. We're not changing the, the, the whole world where, again, a doctor would see their patient, say you have X and Y condition, exercise, eat right, here are these nine sheets of paper, off you go. Well, instead of just letting them walk out the door and go stand in line you know, in a rather lackluster retail experience for these chronic condition patients, these complex ones, hey, I want you to try these current health folks. Give them a shot. If you don't like them after 30 days, you can go back to standing in line um, at, at the retail. And um, we have literally almost no patient turnover whatsoever. It's over 99% because once you get all this TLC that we provide, no one wants to go stand in lines anymore. And then the clinicians start getting this data and this feedback and, um, and they're overjoyed and there's no cost to the physician. So they're, they're not writing um, any checks. The patients aren't writing um, any checks. It's just simply a, a change in methodology. From the perspective of my patient obligation. It doesn't change anything around my cost or anything like that, I guess, either. Nope. Cost-wise, there's no difference, um, again, to utilizing Curon Health again versus that retail experience. And many times it goes down because we are, you know, huge patient advocates. Um, you know, the, the amount of um, assistance for copays that we provide is, is breathtaking. And what we often find in many, many of our patients is a patient may be on 15, 16 different medications. And we look at their therapy and it it's, comes from three or four different clinicians and specialists. And we can go back to them and go, look, the, these, you know, either contraindicated or they don't need to take this because they're actually taking that prescribed by another doctor. And very often we reduce, we take those 14, 15 meds and they end up down at nine, 10 meds, mm-hmm. um, which saves copay, which saves um, complexity, which... Um, saves, you know, interaction type issues. So, you know, I don't say the vast majority, but great many of our patients actually see a reduction in cost by utilizing us. We'll talk about those collaborations and partnerships and, and resources that you're looking for with Current Health that will help you get this to a broader base of patients out there. Clearly, there's a need. You talked about the fact that as many as 25 to 30% of the patients who are doing it the old-fashioned way are getting to be adherent to the the med regimens that they're being prescribed for. Um, So clearly there's a need. I think that it's important for you to be able to talk about, are there partnerships that you would be seeking resources of any kind that we can help illuminate for you? Well, I I think just, you know, this is a a burgeoning space, this real medication slash care management um, space. It's again, we, we are very disruptive company to the, the standard um, retail pharmacy model that's out there. And again, we're, we're not everything to all people. If you are on uh, one generic aspirin, you know, you, you, good news is you're, you're not a, a patient for Curant Health. Okay? You're not sick enough, which is a, a, a good thing. So it's really a case of hey, you know, getting our message out there. And, as, and, and we're big advocates. I'm, I'm published a great deal. I do a great deal of speaking. And um, very often I speak less about Curant Health and more about this, this space and really bringing validity. Hey, um, you know, there, there is a different way. There's a better way um, than this, this status quo. And we really look at ourselves as a great aligning force. And, um, you know, it, it's not just a sales speak. What we do is we really get the constituent pieces of the healthcare model aligned. And that is that payer, 
that manufacturer and those clinicians that many times are, are completely at, at odds. And that's just kind of the nature of the business of, of healthcare. But we do several things. When we get them actually focused on the patient and not on procedures or prescriptions, we get them focused on the patient because we have that line of sight. But we also improve the way they work together. When a manufacturer knows that, hey, a clinician understands their drugs that they're prescribing, and they know that the patient understands what they need to be doing, they're going to sell more medication. People are going to stay adherent. That payer knows, wow, okay, if they are staying adherent, and if they are following their doctor's instructions because they have a, a strong advocate now, they're going to stay out of the ERs. They're, they're, they're not going to go acute. Or if they are acute, they're, they're going to get pulled back into that stage right below it, and they're going to, going to stay there. Um, so it, w- what we're doing really is, is bringing together, and I always use that term alignment, um, in, in that side of the healthcare space for the, for the betterment of outcomes and, and people's lives, but dramatic you know, cost reductions to our entire um, healthcare landscape, which um, is, is going to be pivotal in the, in the coming years as you know, there are other uh, influences in the healthcare space that are going to start really, really pushing healthcare costs up. Do you piggyback on with other channel partners of any kind in the healthcare technology or maybe pharmaceutical space that helps introduce the current health platform out there in the community? Sure. Um, you know, there, there are lots of ways that what, what's really, um, really kind of been fun is, and the reason that we're growing so fast, you know, we're, you know, every year on the, the Inc. 500, 5,000 list, which um, is great. I think it gives more validity that what we're doing has come in, come in vogue. But um, we, we have advocates out in the space now in all kinds of places, whether they're the clinicians at, at Mayo Clinic or Johns Hopkins, whether they're their insurance carriers and payers, whether they're ACOs, whether they're manufacturers, um, even technology and, and web-based platforms that candidly look to us as being that human hand extension of their technology, whatever it might be. Um, and there are fantastic technologies that are, are coming out. Some we're, we're, we're working on that will provide actual real-time feedback, whether a patient took their, their meds or not. So we'll actually get a little ding. Hey, you know, Ms. Smith didn't pop her bubble and take her six meds at 6 a.m. like she was supposed to, and now it's noon. Um, let's go figure out what's what's going on because in our our business, we care a little bit about when the patient takes their medications. We, we do. We want them to. We care a whole lot when they don't take their medications. That's when we start jumping around. So um, it, it's just remarkable the the advocates that we have in the healthcare landscape. Those who are really trying to solve for the problem, and those candidly um, that are on the receiving end of the carrots or sticks that are out there now, um, that are focused on improving the outcomes of patients. How, how about that? A revolutionary idea in medicine. <laughs> I know you and your colleagues around Courant Health have been a part of and involved with Health Connect South now for a little while. Can you talk about your experience with Health Connect South? Why, why be a part of it? Sure. Um, I, I think it's a, a very uh, interesting platform is because it is so broad-based. It's interesting that the different folks that are there from the clinical side, from the technology side, from the services side, and, and some disruptive technologies and some creative thinkers out there. And um, I've just found, you know, just walking about and, and chatting with the folks that are there, you get a different perspective. You know, there's not as much of what I call, you know, the big business of healthcare there. It's really kind of the innovation side, which, um, again, to me as an engineer is, is pretty um, exciting and neat. And, and Kenley, you, you talk to these, these innovators and, and there are some real, really big tidal waves um, heading towards us. Um, in the healthcare space and especially in the cost side of it, you know, what, what are we doing? How do we impact it? Um, what other strategic relationships can we, you know, come up with that are going to help this and ultimately, again, you know, improve the outcomes of patients? 
Where do folks need to go to get more information about Courant Health and how the platform might be able to help them or their patients? Sure. Um, it's very easy to find us on, on the web, at the, the quick Google search, or uh, curanthealth.com. That's C-U-R-A-N-T-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. Also on social media, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, all of those. We're, we're, in all the, <laughs> we're all the usual suspects. And uh, I'm certain we're going to be seeing you there in a few days as well. Uh, I am. I'm speaking <laughs> on a panel. On a panel, yeah. I'm speaking on a panel as well. And it's an interesting um, discussion uh, It's focused in, in the oncology space and the cancer space where us as a, a country, and my piece on it, I guess to give a little sneak peek, is uh, there are some cost imp- implications um, really centered around cancer which, um, you know, has really been thought of, you know, kind of many, many times, not always, but many times an end stage disease. Well, it's going to become a a chronic condition in many respects. And that is a radical different change in our entire view of that, that disease state. Now there's going to be an epic cost associated with managing someone who has cancer, but doesn't need surgery, doesn't need to use, um, you know, Dune's products because the immunotherapies and immune oncology drugs keep it at bay, but there will be a massive cost to that. So medication, you got to go back and get checked out periodically, tests to be done. Exactly. Over the course of 30 years or, or more. So um, us as a society, we're going to have to figure out exactly how we pay for this. It's, it's the allocation of scarce resources. So I think that that's the kind of discussions that we're going to have on the panel. And again, that's, that's what makes it, you know, Health Connect South really interesting is, is we're, we're talking about this stuff that is just on the horizon, but we'll, but we'll be here soon. Well, make sure that you, if you have not done so already, as I was saying at the start of the show, make sure you get over to healthconnectsouth.com and register to join us at the Georgia Aquarium. The venue is beautiful. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great place to have an event like this. That's where we were last year. It really, I think the, the way it's laid out really promoted uh, many, you know, conversations and, and engaging between these healthcare executives. So if you have not done so already, go out to healthconnectsouth.com, register for the Health Connect, Connect South 2016 event, September 21st at the Georgia Aquarium. Use the promo code RADIOX to get a discount on your registration. And as I said, we hope you turn around and share this information uh, with your social media networks. You might just be putting something in the hands of somebody that means something to you that makes a big difference in their life. And uh, for all the folks that turn around and do that for us, I want to say thank you very much in advance. All the folks over at Health Connect South, Rush, Shivani, and of course, Paul at Ride to Market, uh, the, the, the communications folks that are helping us get the word out about Health Connect South and what we're trying to achieve here. I appreciate you all being uh, partners with the Health Connect South Radio Show. If you've not done so already, get over to the Apple logo on the upper left-hand corner of the show page and go and uh, subscribe to the podcast. That way, each week when the new episode comes out, it's downloaded straight to your device, ready for you to listen to when it's convenient for you. Mark, I appreciate you taking some time to join us in the studio again, man. I appreciate the uh, invitation and uh, I look forward to seeing you again. I look forward to catching up with you in a few days at the aquarium for the event. And everybody out there, look forward to catching up with you all same time, same place next week. We'll see you then.